Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. Welcome, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you joining the podcast and talking to us a little bit about uh, masculinity today. We've we've already done your int- uh, your kind of introduction and your credentials in the intro, and we're excited to hear from you uh, in, in regards to just how masculinity is in, in this in this world that we live in. I'm, I've, I've been taking one of your courses, and you ha- you talk a lot about that in there. And so I mm-hmm. thought it would be very interesting to get your sense of, of, of masculine masculinity and then also in the context of what is attractive and, and how that fits into sexuality uh in, in these mm. in this modern day so sure uh one of the things maybe we could start with is um you know as ld members of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints or just christians broadly i think that there's uh growing up christian there's that growing up in that environment really shapes your mentality around masculinity Mm-hmm. I personally think both positively and in some cases negatively, uh, and mm-hmm. I, I think you might see that a lot in, in your practice. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those positives and negatives might be? Sure. Um, first, I think one of the positives is that in our Christian ideal or kind of modeling ourselves after Christ, it offers a broader notion of masculinity than I think is in the larger culture and allows for aspects of manhood that are in more kind of rigid traditional cultures are more identified with femininity. So that is to say nurturance, warmth, um, compassion. And so I think that there is that aspect. You see um, men in the LDS church don't have such a rigid notion of masculinity as being about dominance. It's more about service or what I wrote about in my dissertation, a kind of benevolent patriarchy. That's it's more about service to family and um, and devotion to kind of the well-being of society. And so, there's a lot of uh, value in that understanding of what it is to be a good man. I, um, I think it's you know in terms of the negative. I'm trying to think what I would focus on, but I think one of them is we have a lot of ambivalence about sexuality, which maybe we'll talk about, but I think men are given an idea that they are naturally sexual and that women are given the idea culturally that we're naturally not sexual or that our sexuality is about accommodating a husband. I think this can create a lot of ambivalence in men about their sexuality whether or not it's, you know, on the one hand, it's their privilege, but on the other hand, it's something they do to a woman as opposed to a partnership. Yeah. So I think that in my work with um, LDS men, there's a lot more anxiety about sexuality than sometimes meets the eye and whether or not that is congruent with being a good person. Uh, I think there similarly can be on the one hand, while you know, at least in in Latter-day Saint culture, there's this idea that men are naturally the leaders, men are naturally, in some ways, like the stronger, wiser ones. That's Mm -hmm. a little bit implicit to the idea of men having the priesthood. But I also think there's a way in which um, men can be ambivalent about that and can sort of step down from their strength as a way to not overpower their wife. And so there's this, again, an ambivalence that's there that I think 
interferes with finding one's true strength or can anyway. Mm -hmm. I I think sometimes um, expectation can really lead to some of that, um, that differences in what Mm -hmm. uh, going into a specific relationship, you know, the the husband might expect one thing or live their whole life being told one specific thing. And then they go in and say, this is the way it's going to be or how it should be. Same thing right, on the sure. on on the, the 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 wife's side coming in with a different expectation, and yes. then, I, I, and maybe I'll go out on a limb, but most expectations aren't fully met. Um, oh yeah, just in no, general, that's no limb at all. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, I think I think everybody, you know, I have my own personal expectations, and and those might not equal out to what my partner is, and and, and so I think Absolutely. a lot of times that that uh, can kind of throw a wrench in in kind of what you were saying. And, mm-hmm. and really finding that, that intimacy and that linkage between the two. Yeah, one of the things I talk about in my courses is that like pretty quickly disillusionment happens in marriage. And that is to say, you know, a lot of times people are kind of operating from some level of a Cinderella Prince story about what it is to be masculine and feminine. Sorry, I'm just You're good, you're good. Um, and, and so there's a, there is a kind of set of expectations around that the woman is going to be dependent upon the stronger quote unquote man. And there's certain rewards or assumptions about what the other one will provide for you that seldom will match up against reality. There's an inherent dependency in our immature understanding of masculine and feminine, and that will hit disillusionment uh, fairly quickly in marriage. And then often the real development starts, but that is if you let it rather than just resenting that that disruption in expectations is going to be inherent to any honest marriage. Yeah, I just I think that's that's so interesting. One of the things I, I think that I found in your course that was really interesting is you talk about uh, immature masculinity mm. and you talk about there's kind of four different uh well, there's two kind of two types that you identify specifically, kind of more of a dominant, and then, as, and then there's that kind of a nice guy thing. Mm, and then yes, with, within right. those, you, you talk about two different uh, types of, of dominant guys and then two different types of nice guys. Mm. Um, would you be able to maybe just briefly give a, I know that you, you talk sure. at length about this in your course, but just a little teaser of what those two types are for, for the dominant sure. and the nice guys? Sure. So let me kind of give one context. Yeah. So there's, in my view, let me just sort of speak to masculine and feminine, which is there's different energies um, in the universe that matter, that are a part of life. They're inherent to wisdom. They're inherent to um, kind of intelligences that we have as human beings. And in Taoism, it's yin and yang. Um, that's how they think of it. And in Taoism, the yin has yang in it and the yang has yin in it. Mm -hmm. So all human beings have some yin and yang. We in the West call it masculine and feminine, which has, you know, it's the same idea if we're too rigid in attaching yang to masculine or to men, I mean, Mm -hmm. um, it can be too much specific to gender, but I'm saying all this just to kind of better understand that men tend to prefer yang or masculine women tend to prefer yin or feminine energies and intelligences because it's how we're wired how we're different there's immature and mature forms of this and you know i go on about this much more in that art of loving course that you're referencing and what that looks like but 
immature in masculine and feminine is always dependent. That's why it's immature. It's mm -hmm. dependent in the idea that I'm looking to you, spouse, to make me okay. For the validation. And exactly. Yeah. I need you to need me in some way or you to reinforce my sense of self. Most of us get married in an effort to achieve that. We don't tell ourselves that's why we're getting married, but we're trying to lock in a validation system. This person thinks I'm great while we're dating. They're super in love with me, although mostly what we're in love with in that point is the reflection of ourselves that's getting projected back onto us. <laughs> we don't necessarily know our, our partner enough to really choose them yet. Uh -huh. And so we're often locking in that validation or the hope that they'll give me a sense of self and mattering that I need and want, but you can't get it from another person, even though they may promise that they're going to try. Yeah. And so, so immature masculine, this is my long way of getting to your answer. Immature masculine is this needing to be needed. I'm the strong one. I'm the provider of your sustenance of your well-being. I'm the prince basically. And immature feminine is I'll be whatever you want. Just love me. Give me a sense of security. Tell me I'm desirable to you and I'll yield to you. Mm -hmm. And there's, it, that's the needy position. So it's overtly vulnerable, um, but it's needy, but needing to be needed is also needy, right? Yeah. It's dependent. And so a lot of us start out our marriages and our lives in that dependent position. Now, there's two forms to get finally to your question of, of how we do that immature masculine, which is either from a one up position or a one down. So human beings will create hierarchies when they're immature. The essence of Zion or Christian living is to live in a parallel form. Now you may have different strengths and abilities and have different roles in the body of Christ, yeah. but there's an understanding that all is needed, that, that all are alike unto God. Yep. That's mature spirituality or mature masculine feminine. Immature is dependent or hierarchical. So you can go one up as a masculine or one down. One up is um, overt dominance, control. I'm, you know, you know, abuse yeah. is, is certainly one up, but it doesn't have to be overtly or object, objectly abusive. It can just be like, we're going to, I get a bigger vote here because I'm the man, I'm the provider, I'm the smart one. You know, we better not trust you and your intuition because it'll mess everything up. So it's, mm -hmm. it's like, I get more authority here. That's one up. One down masculine is what I see a lot of people in the church doing, which is, and, and in society generally, is the nice guy. Now it's only kind of one down. It's sort of overtly one down, but it has lots of covert superiority in it. Now women do, the feminine does another version of yeah. this. So this is not just on men. We're all capable of immaturity and indecency <laughs> uh -huh. to be clear. <laughs> no, I... But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I think that the uh, it, one down, that nice guy can mask as kinder than it is, but really it's, it's kind of like, I won't push you. I won't be aggressive in society in general because of notion understandings of toxic masculine or the damage of of the dominant or controlling masculine a lot of people flip into this nice guy you know a lot of men that i work with who grew up with dominant controlling abusive fathers they flip into a nice guy persona 
which is, I won't be that guy for you. I'm going to be the nice one. I'll do anything you want. I won't pressure you sexually. I'll make you happy. Just love me and desire me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tell me that I'm enough. If I kind of shed my strength, shed my individuality so that you're not uncomfortable. Kind of like a, a, like a pure accommodating of the other person. Exactly right. So it's like, I'll be that really nice prince, but my hope, the covert contract is that you'll think you're lucky to have me. You'll think I'm the right kind of guy. You'll give me that sense of mattering that I've always wanted and hoped that a woman would give me by not claiming honestly who I am, by stepping away from the conflict. Mm -hmm. And I can see why men do this. I can see how they get fed right into that idea. Like, I don't want to be that jerk and I want to not make her uncomfortable. I don't want to make her cry, you know? Yeah. Um, and women, we know how to cry to get <laughs> men to back off their position, you know? Uh, I'm not saying it's all manipulative, but yeah, I'm yeah. just saying, you know, it, it, it's not, um, but again, it's a dependent position because it's not very honest. One up or one down, neither is honest, more are trying to get from the other the view of yourself you want to have. Mm-hmm. I'm a nice guy is the one down, or I'm a strong guy is the one up. So so where's the sweet spot is the question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sweet, that's a good question. The sweet spot is not between those two immature positions because they're both weak. Uh-huh. The sweet spot is developmentally different. It's living honestly. Now, if, you were, if I were to say what captures a mature man, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be all yang or even a lot yang, because I think we should be broadening our notions of what it is to be a man and a woman in order for us to live authentically. Mm-hmm. But you're living honestly and you're not apologetic for your strengths, whether male or female. You're not pretending to be weak. You're not looking to your spouse to tell you you're okay. You're using your masculinity, who you are, to create good in the world and to create a peaceful relationship, which includes room for who you are. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's about, this is very conceptual and I can try and make it more concrete so it's more understandable, but you're, you're speaking to the best in who you are. You're not apologizing and looking for your wife to make your sexuality okay but you're also not indulgent with your sexuality and you're not destructive with it. And it sits on you to truly have an honest peace with yourself and your sexuality such that it can be a gift, that it can be a blessing in your life and in the life of your spouse. So maybe let me ask you an example here. So obviously you're a sex therapist. And so that's a a big piece of how all this fits together. So maybe the dominant guy is like, you're required to have sex with me to his wife because I'm the provider here. I do all this stuff. Yeah. The one down guy is maybe mm-hmm. the one down guy. So there's a book in here. The one down guy maybe says, well, you know, I guess, you know, I guess I don't need to have sex tonight or, or, or we can just do it, you know, next week or next month. Or he was, he's just, even though yeah, he has I that pressure you, yeah, even though he has those yeah. desires, he's kind of pushing that away. So what would, what would ever, what would the uh, mature masculine Stronger guy masculine. do? Yeah, what would he do in that situation? Well, it depends a bit on who the partner is in that. But one thing that I think a lot of men don't know is that women want a confident lover. They want it ambivalently, okay? Because to meet a confident lover is to also allow yourself to be knowable. And so for women who feel anxious about, haven't come to peace with their sexuality, 
or with who they are, are going to look for ways to fend off that intimacy, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there's so many elements here. <laughs> yeah, so like, I, I know, if, if, if there's it, an entire course on this. <laughs> I know, exactly. That's why I talked for 20 hour course. hours on the topic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but let me just say, so if a man is one up or one down, he's not desirable because basically if you're one up, I have to just slide underneath you, validate you and your sexuality, accommodate your needs. Yep. There's... There's no nothing desirable about that yep. except for maybe in the beginning of a relationship. Some women are drawn to that at first, mm-hmm. but then they they stop desiring once they've locked that person in. One down's not desirable because it's too apologetic, it's too needy, it's too passive aggressive because the guy who's like, okay, fine, 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 is often building up smoldering resentment and you can feel it leaking off of him, right? And that's not desirable either. Yeah. Because then she's more in a maternal position and she's taking care of her needy husband, but that's not sexy. It's not attractive. Yeah. So the middle, the guy that's in a more stable position is he's not looking to his wife to answer the question of his desirability. Now, I know that for some people that's like, wait, why? If she rejects you, isn't that good information? It might be. You may want to look at why she's rejecting me and deal with what's real there that I need to address. Or is she rejecting because she's insecure? Then that's a that's an expression of her. But what do I have to deal with in myself to be at peace with who I am as a man and as a sexual being? Because it's that lack of apology out of an honest self-knowledge that's very desirable. I don't have to, so for the woman Mm -hmm. that finds that man desirable, I don't have to take care of his sense of self through sex. I don't need any caretaking that a woman does in sex is going to be antithetical to desire. Mm -hmm. She already does caretaking too much. Yeah. If she wants sex, she has a sense of freedom in sex. Now, this isn't all on a man, to be clear. Women also have their development to do around this. Oh, yeah. But if she can know that I'm not going to be there taking care of his ego and propping up his sense of self, I can really go and surrender to that pleasure and not have any caretaking that needs to be done because he's okay with himself Mm -hmm. and he wants to give me pleasure. He wants to bring that goodness to me. He wants to love me through his sexuality. So he's at peace with his sexual nature, but he's also at peace with it in part because he creates goodness with it and through it. And so it's that confidence mm-hmm. in something honest that's highly attractive. Yeah, and that's one th- one theme that I've I've kind of heard throughout your the different things you've done and the course as well is just being able to not require validation from others or from your spouse, and then having mm-hmm. the confidence to be authentic with yourself, and then yes. also intimacy with your wife, being vulnerable with your wife. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and showing her that you're willing to be vulnerable and expressing your needs in a clear manner, uh, not in a mm-hmm. whiny or manipulative manner, but uh, mm-hmm. expressing your needs. And uh, it kind of takes two to tango. They, you know, they say, so you can come so far, but your spouse has to, to hopefully come along with you. Because if they're, yes. st- if they're still in a position where they're a one down or, or you know, they're in whatever female position that right. uh, they'd use to manipulate whatever, they've got to be able to mature as well to yes. meet you there or else your efforts don't really have that much of an effect, I would think. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say it quite like that. So okay. what I would say is if you're going to have an intimate and passionate sexual relationship, you both have to develop. There's yes. no way around it. 
it's one bummer is that sex is a team sport. Yes. Okay. So, so, so it, it, that's also a good thing, the, by the way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It is. But it, but it's a, the bummer is that you don't have control over whether or not the other person handles their half of the, of the collaborative rela relationship. Yeah. So good sex is collaborative. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's two people bringing their best selves to create something mutually valuable and sustaining. However, it isn't for not if you're dealing with who you are you at a minimum are stronger for it and you are more at peace for it yeah and you live less resentfully and you live less dependently and that's all for the better even for just your relationship to yourself yeah but it also makes you a harder man to say no to this is what i see with yeah. couples i work with where when one starts to get a hold of themselves it pushes the other person into some crisis with themselves because they know, um, you know, I worked with a couple where she was always in critique of him and she had a point, you know, because he would do immature and untrustworthy things. But what was masked in that dynamic was that she was dependent on him screwing up as a way to always kind of push herself as superior to him and she was pulling it off. What happened, though, is he really started to confront himself and to really become a better person, a more invested father, a more invested husband, more honest, more genuine. And she, her first move was to get more critical. Well, it's too little too late. You know, you're doing that thing now, but you didn't do it for whatever number of years. And the point is, I don't know if I can actually be enough for this man that is impressing me and really emerging in a stronger way. Am I even worthy of that man? Mm -hmm. And so she wanted to push down as opposed to start confronting herself. I mean, yeah, she met with me. And so I started showing her what she was doing. And then she started focusing on her own development sexually and interpersonally and how much she depended on this kind of moral superiority to mask her own inherent fear of her worthiness. Yeah, that sounds like one of the things I've heard you say is that a lot of times, you know, couples will come to you and they're like, hey, we're having, you know, some issues or whatnot. And then you kind of have to pull off all these, you know, <laughs> all these yeah, bridges, layers. all these layers that they've built. And then that and initially people are like, ah, like this is worse than it was before <laughs> yes, <laughs> on yes. the on the bad construct that we've built. Like now what do we do? So That's you can right. have to tear that away. Right. To, to kind of start anew and fresh. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know. Absolutely. So, you know, if you think about renovation of a house, you want a nicer space, you want a space that you can live in and breathe in. Well, there is the demolition part. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's never comfortable. You're like, you know, this wall, it's a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can't build something stronger until you see what's there in a problematic way. And this is, in my view, the best understanding of why humility is a virtue is that you you sacrifice your ego for the benefit of good. And our egos are these things where like, it's a good wall, you know, like I want to keep that in place because it's so connected to my sense of being sufficient. And we'll sometimes out of fear, hang on to things that really do damn us and limit us. Mm -hmm. Humility is to say, okay, it's a problem. I can see it. It's hard to have it be challenged, but it's the only way we can create something stronger and to go through that humbling process is the ones who come out stronger and create something more beautiful but it does take real moral courage that's for sure oh yeah i think that's great i mean even all those examples you kind of you know i've been married for 
almost 10 years now, and you kind of see some of these things as, oh, well, you know, I, I could do better at this, and I could do better at that, and we, we could, you know, go this direction as a couple. And so it's just really cool to see some of these different things um, just applying to our own lives, yeah. you know, my own life. Absolutely. Um, exactly. Go ahead. Well, just going to reinforce that. The development is so inherent to marriage. If you're willing to engage it honestly, have hard and honest conversations, is it pressures your development? So I, I sometimes will say, you know, it's a divine institution for that reason, because it's, it's pushing on you to face who you are and to become more capable of love. And it's very valuable. You know, you, you start to become more capable of joy and peace the more you go through that soul rearranging process um, because you're living in a wiser, uh, more anchored, more honest way. And that's when you get really good sex <laughs> or really good intimacy because there's no pretending. It's about two people who really know and love and care for each other who've shared a life together that's at the core of, of the most high meaning and soul anchoring sexuality and intimacy. So uh, it's, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, it, if you can use an analogy, like for a lot of what your work is, is just helping people not validate themselves to their, to their spouses, uh, have the confidence to do the things right, uh, and, and really motivate them and help them get on the right track personally. So that's like, yes. you know, fixing the engine of the car, so that the tires yes. can work. And the tires exactly. is the sexuality of their relationships. They're not going to turn yes. unless that engine is turning. That's exactly Or working, right. I should say, yeah. That's exactly right. And, you know, a lot of, exactly. A lot of times people's presenting concern is sexuality concerns. And I'm like, okay, we'll get to that. Yeah. Let's deal with what's making it hard to be at peace with one another when you're just lying next to each other. Yeah. Because there's these operating meanings that are creating distrust or distress. And until they get addressed and named, uh, there is going to be struggle within the sexual domain. Yeah. Mm. I think that that development aspect is, is very key in, in what's going on. And especially with, with masculinity, you know, we've talked about kind of defined it a little bit, some different types of masculinity. I want to talk a little bit about kind of over the, the generations, how masculinity itself has developed to become what what it is today you know you look Mm -hmm. at my grandpa or even my dad their perception of masculinity is maybe a little bit different than what Mm -hmm. our generation's perception of masculinity is both for good Mm -hmm. and i think for bad you know a lot of kids nowadays they can't fix anything around their house and so it's like you know i'm just glad that i have that ability (laughs) that was taught to me i fully agree with that yeah 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 How, how have these kind of principles of masculinity changed over time and and uh, or ha- have you seen and kind of what's some of the positives and negatives of the, that? Yeah. Well, we're definitely going through an identity crisis as men and women and maybe men even more than women these days. I think that, you know, I'm not an anthropologist, so these are just kind of my speculations as I've uh, kind of thought about some of these things. But, you know, I think in a time when men's brute strength was so fundamental to the survival of society that there was, you know, or just to be warriors, to basically keep society safe. Men had a strong sense of purpose in what it was 
to be a man and what it was to protect the village or to provide for the village and so on. As the economics have changed, um, you know, with like the industrial revolution, when in colonial times, men and women were working together so much for survival that there wasn't as much focus on what masculine and feminine is and these different roles in with the industrial revolution and Victorianism and so on, it became very much about defining masculine and defining feminine. And I think one of the reasons for that was because men were leaving the home and I think they were getting anxious about the fact well, first of all, women might be anxious because the men are now out away from the home getting the economics and they're inherently dependent. But also men were anxious about women are now not next to them and maybe the postman's going to start looking good to the wife and so on. So there became these very dramatic notions that women were asexual, that they were dependent, that they just loved children and hearth and home and men were the provider. So, so you can see that some of the narratives are highly dependent upon the economics. Mm -hmm. I think as we've moved into modern society in which women, brute strength isn't so essential for our survival. Mm -hmm. Now it's the capacity of the mind and women are very capable um, in that sense. And so women's capacities are more valued by our current economy. So women, so, so a lot of the notions, these traditional notions have really been challenged as too limited, too narrow. I think there's value in that because that dependency model is limited. So I think where people often go is they go into a broader view of masculine and feminine. There's crossover. Men become often like they're favoring their nurturing side. Women are favoring their sort of assertive side. And there's some development, but it's, I think we're in a society that is not done a good job yet of valuing mature masculine and feminine. So while we've been in a critique, and I think it's a worthy critique because those two rigid and narrow ideas are, are limiting, we still haven't really moved into a clear articulation of what strength in a man or a woman is and how you embody strong masculine or strong feminine or strong androgyny as in a combination of those capacities. And so I think men are, I think men are under attended to in general in our society um, in terms of the identity crisis that a lot have suffered. You know, that a lot of men, working class men could go out and know that what they were doing was making a difference for their families. I think there's with shifts in industry and so on. And again, I'm not an anthropologist, but yeah. I just see that there's a lot more suicide among um, middle-class men. And I think there's, there's a, there's a lot of crisis going on around what it is to really embody strength and be true to your core self that our society is not providing well for currently. Yeah. I have a, a follow-up story and then a follow-up question. Sure. So the story is uh, our, our grandpa, he just turned 90 years old. And I remember one time we were, uh, it was at a family reunion and this was maybe 20 years ago as, you know, 10 years old, eight, 10 years old. And I jumped over a fence that had spikes on the top of it and I like sliced my hand open mm -hmm. and it wasn't deep, but it was as shallow and it just was like this fold of skin, right? That, that kind of was came over and it was maybe a couple inches long and I go in and see my grandpa and he was just like, he pulled out his pocket knife and grabbed it and cut it off and said, go, go back outside and play, oh. you know? And it's just like, <laughs> that was just kind of his reaction sure. to it. Right. It was just kind of that brute strength. Right. But yeah. now I think a lot of times 
it, it, there's there's two there, yeah there's two extremes to it it's on the other side if oh my my son runs around the yard and falls and maybe scrapes his knee a little bit and it's not bleeding but it's not and then it's, mm-hmm. you know how yeah how much do you go in you say oh well you know it's okay and you coddle and you put a band-aid on it and everything else give and him a lollipop so, yeah give, and, and so it's definitely this there's there's extremes, right, two extremes. there's two extremes exactly and Kind of finding you know, that finding that balance is is I think what masculinity is trying to do right now. What yes. is that balance? Well, and society, we need to we need to recalibrate because we are a society that is understanding the cost of this kind of demand of brute strength because there's no room to be vulnerable. There's no room to kind of allow your feelings of insecurity to even be knowable to yourself, right? So that's too extreme. But on the other hand, for everyone to always feel safe or validated or, you know, comforted is also creates weakness uh, because what makes us strong is our ability to rise to the demands of our society and to be able to weather them honestly. So I think as parents, and I'm one of them, it's like, oh, I don't want you to suffer in the way I suffered. You know, I was out working in the yard every single day. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. we worked a lot as kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we we're sewing our own clothes and canning our own food and all that. And so I'm glad I can now provide more ease for my children. But that's not been great for them because they don't have both the skill development, but also the self-confidence that comes from knowing you can meet the demands of life. And so it's our ability to mature as a society to understand you do society no favors to not give people struggle to rise up to. And it's developmentally different. That's why we're struggling to articulate it. We tend to vacillate between extremes as opposed to understanding to live in a strong masculine is that you have capacity. You've, You've not let your fears run your life. You do hard things, but you're not dishonest either. You're not pretending you're invulnerable or you never have a feeling of self-doubt. You don't hide who you are. You're able to demonstrate and show your humanity while favoring your courage to do things you know need to be done. And this is strong feminine also. This is not just men, obviously, but Mm -hmm. like that you don't let fear run your life. And that's different than I'm going to pretend I'm above the human condition because that's weak to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned something in, in or earlier talking about men's mental health to a certain extent. Mm. And yeah. uh, suicide um, is, is vastly uh, disproportionate on, on the men's side. Um, and there's lots of other statistics that, that go along with that. But I kind of wanted to lead into maybe some of that, <clears throat> that mental health, you know, historically, and maybe we're coming out of that, but men are kind of, you know, be a man, right. Or don't, don't show your emotions is masculine. And, and how do you think that has an effect on how men perceive themselves and in turn their mental health? Yeah, well, I don't, I, again, I, I only have some thoughts about this. There's a lot to still be understood on this front and Mm -hmm. how we respond to some of that challenge and crisis. But I think that part of, let me see if I can articulate that part. Okay. So part of masculine strength is a strong sense of mission. So if going to this idea of yang energy is often mission driven, yin energy is more relationship driven. 
a lot of men are craving a sense of mission, of purpose, and mm -hmm. women are too. So I'm not just trying to yeah, speak yeah. categorically here, but just to, you know, they're looking for a sense that what I do is efficacious. It makes a difference. It has impact on my family, on my society, on my church community. And that sense of being able to affect the world is often very linked to what men are seeking and can't find. And especially with a shifting economy in which that's been less and then also, I think the physicality of it, we're, not, we're much more, you know, above the neck now in our society than we are where you're out building, you know, a log home or something on the frontier that I think that also kind of robs men of a kind of deeper integration with their physicality. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're in a kind of incongruity currently for, that doesn't go well for men. Now, the second idea is that I think, you know, restoring a sense of mission and purpose in your life is valuable for a lot of men for feeling a stronger sense of identity. And if you're in that nice guy, just do what everybody wants position and keep them happy with you, you're living dishonestly for validation. So I think what strong masculine can be is that I can bless the lives of the people around me through my specific gifts, through my development of those gifts, through the way that they make a difference for my life and for others' lives. And, you know, I think immature masculine is that masculine kind of owns and dominates feminine. Mature masculine is it's protective of the feminine, but it's, it's like facing outward to protect society, protect the vulnerability of physical vulnerability of women mm -hmm. so that the feminine can thrive. Mm -hmm. It's not possessive. Yeah. It doesn't need to possess because strong masculine doesn't need to own another person to feel strong, but it's a allowing for the true thriving of both masculine and feminine by each in, you know, the feminine is more expressive, more nurturing, but needs protection, right? In it, but not ownership. And that's where we, so I think if we can grow into a deeper understanding of how being true to myself really allows me to foster the thriving of those around me to actually know I make a difference, but I don't need to be superior or be, be seen as everybody needs me to manage my ego, but that I know and feel comfortable with who I am and how I have an impact on those that I love. That's where we get our stronger sense of self. So I talk to women and men about this is that how do I develop my gifts, my unique energies or capacities or intelligence? How do I develop those in a way that make a meaningful difference for those around me, whether those are overt and, and, and obvious to all or more subtle and nuanced, but I know that I matter and have some way to contribute to the society and relationships around me. I think that's very connected to our happiness and our well-being. That's a great answer. Absolutely, I, I totally agree. Um, I love what you said about you know having you know men can be disconnected from their physicality. I think that's so mm -hmm. important to have as men to have a hobby that 
if you're sitting at a desk all day and you're just doing desk work all day and you're using your brain, then have a hobby yes. where you go out and you work out or you do yes. triathlons or you carve wood in your yep. garage or, or, or weld or yep. something like that. And so that will help balance you out and help you achieve that physicality as well. Plus, it's a turn on for women. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that actually leads into the next question. <laughs> uh, well, let's just ask one more question and then uh, uh, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be what are um, the top reasons. Yeah, what would you say the the top five masculine traits or top five or, or, or your top masculine traits that men can work on to improve in their relationships that would be more enticing to their spouses? It's such a good question. I've just to think about that for a minute, like how I would think about it. Um, because, you know, the, to be just like, you know, for example, what I'm very drawn to in my husband is his honesty because he's, he's not, uh, he doesn't pretend anything. Um, and so there's a kind of confidence in that, that he's going to say what he really, who he, he's going to show who he really is. He's not trying to prove that he's cool or that he's above being human. And so it's inherently strong. So I think women are drawn to strength. That's pretty consistent in the category of sexuality is that women's romance novels and things, the, 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 the antagonist is always, or the protagonist is always like, whatever, however it goes. Yeah, yeah. But the, the yeah. one that's desired yes. is, is a, is strong in some way. Uh -huh. They're, they're effective. They're able to do things. Now I think strength is very much linked to how honestly and truthfully we live, how much integrity we live by, not by what our specific capacities are. Right. So I think, um, that honesty is a, is a key feature. I mean, I'll just speak about my spouse for a second, then I'll yeah. think about how it relates to masculine. Cause I find my husband to be a very compassionate person and that's technically a more feminine energy, but it's not a compassion out of, I need you to be happy with me. It's about, I'm really invested in you, your thriving and your happiness. I do care about what you go through. And I think for a lot of women, just speaking to the research on women's desire, there, if you think about the biological vulnerability of opening yourself up to a male partner, it makes sense because you're vulnerable to disease, to pregnancy, that you want to map that that man doesn't just want to have sex with you or thinks he's entitled to having sex with you, but that he's invested in you as a person, right? And so I think there's a stereotype that men's, and I think there's some truth in it, that men's sexuality can be non-discriminating, right? Um, and there's biological reasons why it is less discriminating than female sexuality. Mm -hmm. But to map that this man is invested in my well-being, not me liking him, not me always being pleased with him, but invested in my well-being and honest enough with me, I think that's very attractive. So because there's strength in it, you know, and it's one thing is as people develop, they also become more androgynous in their character development. Even if they prefer a masculine or feminine sexually, and, and couples do tend to polarize sexually to increase the tension, mm -hmm. even if in the light of day, they are more androgynous in their skills and capacities. So, so I think there's this sense of honesty, the sense of investment, I think a sense of uniqueness or identity, like I, it doesn't have to be strictly in the, in the mission frame, but more like, what am I about? What am I good at? What do I do? 
to have something that's unique to you. This, women talk about that as being attractive, is that they're seeing their husband as separate from them with his own interests, his own uniqueness, not in their back pocket. Mm-hmm. And that that's attractive because it's, um, you know, it's, it, it's a reminder of the distance. And that's as truthfully drives a lot of desire. I don't own that person. Mm-hmm. He's separate from me. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I had one more thought. Let me see. What was it? Oh, it'll come back. The sense of uniqueness. Um, oh, women also talk about seeing a man be invested in her children or their children, mm-hmm. like to be a good father to bring that investment in them in his own way, but still like he does care about the offspring. Uh, that's very much connected to uh-huh. it. And then also um, being protective. So times when I see my husband stand up for me or kind of like, it's not that I couldn't do it, but to see him move to kind of protect me is like always a turn on. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. Well, there you have it. Uh, the five things that every guy needs to, to do to be more attractive yeah. to his wife, <laughs> we'll as well to. as being authentic and, and, uh, and some of the other things we talked about, um, you know, about validation and whatnot. So th- right. th- those are excellent things. Um, well, I-, I think, uh, you know, we've, uh, we're kind of towards the end here. And one of the things mm-hmm. that we always ask our guests that come on, and we, we really appreciate you coming on, uh, we ask, uh, we are a brother's creed, and we always ask our, our guests about their own personal creed. Now, a creed mm-hmm. could be a set of beliefs or principles that help guide your actions. Maybe just it could be a quote mm-hmm. or, uh, or or life advice or, or anything that, that or anything that you'd like to share. So, we'd like to ask you if you could share a piece of your creed with us. Sure, I think maybe there's a couple things. the The one that's probably had the biggest impact on my life is the idea the scripture that the truth sets you free. And so I've tried very hard in my life to exercise faith in the idea that what is true, no matter how much it hurts, ultimately will allow you to live well and to thrive. And I think that's absolutely true because you often what's true punctures your sense of self. It's, you know, to face humiliation day after day in a way. To live honestly is to kind of recognize where you're limited, where you're blind, where you're insufficient. But to stay truthful, not in a self... um, uh, Deprecation type of way. Deprecating way, but to stay honest in a way that allows you to deal with what is and to align your development with with what is in fact true because it means you're developing into someone who can handle and live in life honestly can live in her relationship or his relationship honestly and there is great freedom and peace in doing that but it will pressure your development it will uh split your ego in into pieces and and it but it will develop you into a wiser person so that is definitely one. And that's not to say that I've done that all, you know, I, as much as anyone can be tempted into self-deception and deluding myself into an idea that I prefer over what's real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have more faith in it because I see that it hurts at first, but it frees you ultimately. Uh, the second thing I would say is, you know, to not, to never... Um, 
kind of measure yourself by things out of your control. Um, and if you're going to measure yourself, measure yourself by what you actually affect and what you actually can control. And, you know, what we all may want is for others to think well of us or to see us in particular ways or to, we want to show the world that we're good or that we're worthy or whatever. And I think that's a, a, a bad use of energy because you can't make everybody see or understand you. The only thing you can control is who you are yeah. and how you handle your life. And so it's a way of just keeping my focus on the part I can do anything about and just staying on that uh, imperfectly. But that is where the piece is. Love it. So totally love that, that your responsibility and not comparing yourself or looking to your neighbors and say, what, this guy has that, this guy has that. But looking at yourself, yeah. comparing yourself to who you were yesterday uh, and, and who yes. you are today. And that's um, how you can measure your, your progression or your digression. That's right. So I, I love that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, where can our, our listeners, I know that you have several courses. You have... Yes. Uh, t- talk to us a little bit about that and also where, sure. they, where they can find you. So you can find out uh, lots about me just on my website, which is my last name, finlayson-fife.com. And on my website, I have five courses. One is The Art of Loving, which Jared, you brought up, uh, which is a men's self and sexual development course. So a lot of these themes around masculinity, femininity, how to move out of immature sex into mature, passionate sexuality. And then I have a a women's course that's similar, but around uh, women's self and sexual development. And then two couples courses, one about relationship development and one about the sexual relationship. And then talking to your kids about sex course. Um, But then I also have a new thing, which I am doing, which is a paid podcast called Room for Two. And I'm doing couples coaching. So a lot of the principles that you can hear me talk about, like in this podcast or others that I've done, You'll see in my actual work with a couple that um, these are religious couples, Mm -hmm. um, most of them LDS, but that they're trying to work out how to really grow into a deeper, richer relationship and sexual relationship. So people get to sort of see themselves in these couples and it's been a a lot of fun to do this. So is that kind of like a kind of a live counseling session? Is that kind of what that? Oh, okay. Exactly. So I'm working with them for an hour and many of the couples I have come back for a second hour so you can kind of see what they did with my input and then where they are a month later and so on. Yeah. But it's, yeah, so people have, it's been getting great reviews because I think it allows people to really see themselves in the couples and see what they've been blind to in themselves or what they've been recreating as a couple that's interfering with their happiness and their freedom and a sense of deeper honesty between them. So um, it's just a way to, I don't have enough hours in the day to see all the people that are looking for help. So I'm trying to find ways to have other people be able to find help for themselves through hearing other people's stories. Yeah. Well, I I will say, you know, you've got so much going on and I've I've listened, I've obviously obtained your course. I I think that, and I'm excited to take some of the other courses, you know, with my wife and you're one about teaching kids about sexuality. Uh, I've got four boys. uh, And so I'm absolutely going to need to take that one. And I think that the way that I was kind of taught about sexuality, I think it's kind of an older I just don't feel like there was a lot missing. Uh, and I feel like there was a yes. lot of manipulation that's there to force a, a desired behavior. Yeah. 
and I know you're fine. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I'm excited to take that and excited that uh, of all the work you're doing and and you know for anyone out there that's on the fence whether to take the course, go go uh, take the course. Follow her on uh, on Instagram. And so, what's your insta? We'll, we'll put your Instagram in the show notes. Oh, yeah, so. sure. It's uh, Finlayson Fife, just one word. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so, well, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch. Great. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Man, that was a great uh, that was a great episode. Uh, I think that she shared a lot of good things just about how you know not to be. We talked about the, the different types of men and like the immature masculine, like one upper and one downer, and how I think it's interesting just how important getting yourself right is before all the sex comes in, and like how one thing does lead to another. Yeah, it's kind of like building your own self worth in your on you know on your own silo right and 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 making sure that you're good and that will actually drive um others to to follow or to uh you become more attractive to others you know in this case maybe a spouse or uh i think even people you work with or whatever that we talked about that that dependency sometimes people you know it's just that that immature mature masculine you have there's dependency of constantly needed to be wanted and constantly wanting to be needed and and yeah. it's just is really interesting i i liked how we kind of talked about the 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 nice guy type thing the person that just completely accommodates what the other person needs but then the complete opposite of that of you know someone who's just so completely overbearing and overpowering and that you know everything that i say goes and there's nothing else where's the we kind of talked about the sweet spot yeah. in there and I, and I, and it's not always in the middle. Yeah. Um I thought it was really Yeah, and, and both of those are extremes in the wrong direction. And so, you know, being a nice guy and, and denying not being honest or, or or hiding your feelings or or you know, oh well, I guess, you know, I don't need this, you know, that's not attractive and that's not who you want to be. So I liked what she said about she gave that example of the the guy who was improving himself and and then and his wife was always picking on him and then she actually ramped up kind of picking on him and, and being mean to him because he was improving himself and she was and it, it actually probably made their relationship worse and he's like he probably was feeling i've been doing all this stuff and she's not like realizing this but it, but inside he knew that he was getting better yeah and then from her perspective it was just she said that 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 wife in that example was more threatened. Yeah, though. kind of like, oh, well, I- am I really worth the man that, that my husband is becoming? Yeah. I think it, it can obviously go both ways, and we're talking about masculinity in this specific case, but, you know, hopefully it, it kind of evolved to the point to where, you know, they're kind of growing together towards one one purpose, but mm-hmm. independently. Yeah, I mean, the, and that's the, the importance of getting your wife on board, or getting your, your your spouse on board. If, if you're a woman, obviously you're getting your husband on board with this kind of a thing because, if you're if you're improving, improving, you're growing, 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 growing. But this per other person is stuck in like an old uh, methodology or old mindset. It's going to be hard, and you might in fact ha- have more clashes. Uh, but you shouldn't dampen your own personal growth. Uh, a, a true marriage and someone who loves you will want, will want you to grow personally, and not want you to stifle your growth so that you can remain in, in a place that is dependent or, or on validation from them. And I mean, that literally is what a Brothers Creed podcast is all about. I mean, the whole purpose, the the, the reason why we started this was to grow. 
You know, the, the tenets of, of a podcast are, are motivation, experiences, and exploration. We want to become motivated to grow, to develop certain skills, uh, whether that's what we consider, you know, manly skills or emotional skills or relationship skills or personal skills, uh, whatever it may be, explore new things and experience what, what the world has to offer that really uh, not everyone gets a chance to, to experience. Yeah. Uh, totally. And, you know, and also we love to have fun and do, do, and do fun <laughs> episodes too. So there, you'll see a wide variety of, of, of episodes. You're like, well, yeah. how's this motivational? It's interesting, but I don't know if it's so we do a wide variety of stuff, but anyway, we want to just say thanks everybody for, for joining and definitely go check out our stuff. Uh, I can attest that I'm halfway through a course. It's really good. There's a lot to it. I probably will go through it a second time. Um, but, uh, definitely go check that out. And yeah, you can find us on, on social medias, Instagram, uh, we're on TikTok as well, so check yeah. us out there. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and found this information helpful, we ask that you rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from it. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, follow the link in the show notes below to find more information about her online courses, upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.